Hi everybody, this is MG and Elizabeth Pudwell and we are Sober Sisters Talk. Welcome. So Sober Sisters Talk is a podcast where we try to bring our experience, strength and hope, MG and I, um, out to you guys and how we deal with everyday problems in in the world um, from a sobriety standpoint. And it's not just, you know, drug and alcohol free, but emotionally and in many other ways sober as well. Well, and I believe that there's a difference between recovery and sobriety. And for me, recovery is a sort of an all-encompassing kind of approach to living my life in a recovered way. And what that means is the lessons that I learn from all my programs are what help me go forward and live a life where I try to approach happy, joyous, and free. Of course, I don't always get there. And I like to say that I don't know how to keep you sober. I just know what keeps me sober. And so Elizabeth and I are just kind of going to share some of her strategies. And today we have a special guest, my dear friend. How do you want to identify yourself? Teresa is fine. Welcome, Teresa. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we're glad you're here. So we were sitting here. Um, evaluating our week prior to turning on the recording button and um, decided to talk today about the stories that we make up and um, what we do about them because we all have situations where and it usually comes around some sort of conflict where there's some a bit of conflict somewhere in your life and then you make up a story about it and spin off and we all do this like you know I mean I was just talking to one of my sponsees she um, has a, a, a tendency to look for rejection her her mother she has a very very um, early memory of her mother telling her that when she brought her home from the hospital her sisters didn't like her her sisters wanted to get rid of her her sisters wanted to take her back and so she, cre- she you know in almost every relationship that she has she creates rejection because that's love to her. That is her, wow. that's family. That's what you do. Isn't, I mean, it's like incredible. And so she's created this pattern of like developing relationships and it's not just in her romantic or platonic relationships. The way that it shows up where I noticed it the most is her work relationships. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. wow. Where she gets rejected in her work. Which turns out to be translates into fired, yeah. time after time after time. And how much we can create that. That's so interesting that you said that because when we were talking about the stories we create in our heads, and for me I was thinking about how it's all about our primary wound, and I was going to share that my primary wound is rejection. So I'm always scanning the interaction, and for me it's particularly in romantic relationships where I'm just wondering, trying to determine, is this a rejection story? And I just, that's all I want to know. I don't care about anything else. I don't care if you love me. I don't care if you think I'm attractive. Is this a rejection story? And for me, I've only recently, later in life, been able to do anything about that and where I can impact the action in the middle of my reaction about it. And that, for me, has been through meditation and and refuge recovery, which I've been employing for my approach to recovery. And... So it's allowed me for the first time to become aware of how I'm feeling in my body and it's in my abdomen. And I was having an interaction with somebody in this particular situation and those circumstances. 
and I was just feeling so defensive and I was about to shut down and you know reach out to create harm to that person to keep myself safe but I felt that tightness in my abdomen and I was able to stop what I was doing in the middle of that interaction and that's never happened to me before. The closest I've gotten is to be able to react, be reactive and then apologize immediately, right? But I've never been able to stop it. Stop wow. it before. Yeah, right. And that really became, for me, was awareness in my body, which I've just been walking around as a giant head, you know, completely unaware of my so body. So uh, my, my story is I'm not going to have enough. And I know where it comes from. I've shared that in here before. But the way that I found it and noticed in my body, I was having my car worked on. And the mechanic called and said, it's going to be this much. And it was a lot. And I got up and I was um, walking to the elevator and I thought, it feels like I'm in trouble. What feels like I'm in trouble? What's, and I was able to do a body scan, figure it out. My heart was pounding, my throat was getting tight. And I was like, why am I doing this? And I was like, oh, it's the money. And I was able to like stop and go like, it's okay. I have enough to pay for this, it's okay. So well, is that is that the story where you also did the exercise with your inner child and you put their yes yeah so I have uh, I went to um, to our listeners I went to a beach retreat this past weekend for Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous and there was someone that had um, come there who is from the Panhandle and knows the recovery community here and someone turned her on, turned us on turned her on to our podcast. And she said that that story just really, really touched her so much about wow. like comforting her, uh, her inner child uh-huh. and like in a real sort of like put your legs around you and then, and then you just really, really comfort. So I just wanted to add that, that, you know, we've already had a good effect uh, at, at least on two people that we know of. So <laughs> well, I just wanted and to And that's enough, that. you know, that is enough. It's, right. Because if it touches one person, it's just to know, I mean, in that... This stuff is like, it's never about what we're dealing with right now, especially if it feels really deep. If it feels like mm-hmm. I'm in trouble, like I'm mm-hmm. not in trouble, you know, I'm right. at work, you know, yes. what yes. is that? So, well, there's that phrase, if it's historical, then we can become hysterical. Yes. Yes. And, you know, one of the other reasons where I wanted to have Teresa on was to talk about refuge recovery too. So I'm, I'm really fascinated about how you found it, like what are the principles, because it's about sobriety, right? Yes. But their approach to it is about dealing with sobriety through meditation and through community, is that right? Yes, So for me, you know, um, I was trying to throw everything I could at um, my issues, which for me were alcohol use and a a process addiction, which is, you know, Mm slaw-related, so love addiction. Um, which I really didn't have until later in life. And I was throwing everything I could at it. I was throwing out therapy at it. I was attempting 12 steps. And SLA was the one program that did provide me some relief. But nothing... And you were going to church. I was going to church. I was doing everything. I was, you know, going to therapy. I was, you know, uh, taking advantage or abusing my friendships like you. People who had a lot (laughs) of long-term... Every day. Miserable, <laughs> and um, and that, and that was working somehow, and um, and so yeah, my therapist who I was only seeing periodically said, "Hey, there's this Buddhist recovery group," and I'm like, "So," 
She goes, and it's a 10 minute walk from you. And it's tonight. So anyway, I found my way there and it is. So it's, um, it's primarily three principles and that's um, the Buddha, um, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So it's basically just the principles of Buddhism, but it's employing um, meditation as, as one of the primary tools and also the Sangha, which is the community. Um, and the tenets of Buddhism and just to be aware so to use meditation to really um, as a practice in daily 20 minutes a day and I've never done anything so regularly in my entire life but I thought that was the rule for me to continue to show up in this beautiful room um, that my meetings were at I thought no I thought they'd know I thought they could smell it if I wasn't meditating every day so I took it very seriously and that's what I began doing and um, slowly it began to change me. And what's also true is that this was a brand new way of thinking to me and that the idea of craving is a passing moment. MG, you told me that uh, repeatedly, but somehow I couldn't hear it from you. Just to kind of write out that craving. But I did through meditation because, you know, the challenge is if you have an itch, just sit with it and don't scratch it. And then on the other side of the meditation, you know, I realized that itch was gone. So I didn't have to scratch it. It would go on its own. And it, these were waves of, you know, just of things, right? So our like cravings. Like sensory input. It's yes, just input. It is. And we don't have to respond to it. And it's, you know, and the craving is really what gets us into trouble in our relationship with our minds and our addiction to our minds and getting lost in stories in our head and to really returning back to the body again and again. And um, so that was that really empowered me to understand that these cravings I had for alcohol or to interacting with um, unsuitable men, they could be ridden just like waves and I didn't necessarily have to take action around them. And it didn't happen overnight. You know, I was attending this group for at least three months before I was able to string any time together. And so, yeah, it's been a, an entire game changer for me. The other thing I'll say about it is that many people who are in refuge recovery also utilize the 12 steps, really got their primary sobriety um, in the 12-step program. So that's a very honored process. For me, my brother had sobriety in the 12 steps and he really kind of beat us up with his sobriety, right? So for him, it was more promotion rather than attraction. So for me, I just... And like pointing at you saying, you need to go to a meeting. You need to do this, you need to do that. And you put a wall up. Yeah, so I felt such yeah, so I felt such shame when I arrived in the meetings, you know, twelve step meetings, and they were so helpful, but they weren't what I needed at that time for me to actually put some sobriety together. You so. know, I love what you said though, because then there's two things that came up for me. Is one is this like innate knowing that you need something spiritual. Yes. Even if yes. you didn't intellectually knew, know it, your soul knew it and you sought it out. And you were still resistant to it, you know, like, so it's 10 minute walk, you know, so if I don't do this, they're not going to let me come back. You know, there's all this resistance that shows up in your story, but innately your soul like continued to seek it out because you need it. You, I mean, we know that I did. I knew, you know, that when I rear ended an 18 wheeler, the next day I was at church going, help me. I, you know, I, I didn't look for an attorney. I didn't do, I knew I needed spiritual help. Yes. So, and then the other thing that came up was the combination of modalities that we use. And this is something that MG and I sort of like talk about a lot. 
Um, I don't really attend a church anymore, but I do have a spiritual practice. And I do feel like if we, you know, in long-term sobriety, in order to continue to evolve, I think you can stay sober. You can stay sober in AA forever. Go to AA meetings, you know, do your thing, and you can, but it wasn't enough for me. I needed to continually evolve and to grow and to change. And so there was the combination of the modalities that had to, yes. had to happen for yes. me. Right. Well, and I also think that in 12-step recovery that it is very effective and, and, and we call it like scope in the work world. You know, it's scope is about not drinking. And, you know, they give you all these other things and like, you know, their mandate is to be happy, joyous, and free. But I felt that as I was growing and evolving that that I had, you know, I'm not going to say mastered sobriety because I think that that is a trap that I can get into my head. But I had some, I had some recovery around sobriety and, and like drinking wasn't that big of a deal for me. But then I started getting into all these other things as, uh, you know, I started getting healthier. Like Elizabeth, you call it like the God hole. Mm -hmm. Like I tried to fill that God hole. And so I tried to fill it with alcohol and then I tried to fill it with spending and debting. And then I tried to fill it with men and love addiction and sex. And, and then, you know, and I still like, you know, food is something that I still use to, you know, um, try to change and shift my emotions, but as I continue to recover, you know, I've done a lot of different things, spiritual and otherwise, and what I loved, Teresa, is like about like how it's really getting you plugged in with your body, so it's not just about like the intellectual tenets of Buddhism that they're also sharing with you, but about how to like get into the breath and check in with your body and to spend that time and I also believe that 20 minutes a day of meditation is going to be an incredibly powerful approach to shifting your brain chemistry absolutely and you stayed with it yes in the yeah. path and there was that the the mentioning of that it took a while yes and yes. all of those things that you just mentioned drugs alcohol sex eating are all instant gratification they are yes. all and we get accustomed to that Pick something up, you know, yes. pick something up and change, yes. you know, no matter what it is. If I'm going to ingest it, smoke it, inhale it, drink it, it doesn't matter, you know, get, yes. <laughs> yes. it's yes. all, it's yes. all, it's going to help me to change, you right. know? So, but this thing, the recovery is the investment of what you mentioned of, you know, letting the craving pass and sitting with it and then you notice it. You know, I think right. we talked about it, was it last week when I mentioned like what I wanted in the beginning, what helped me create space between my qualifier and myself was I wanted a day, I wanted the end of the day thing to go, oh, I didn't think about him. Yes. I didn't yes. think about him today. Yeah. And then I wanted a week of that. Right. And then a month. And I could see that and I could feel what that would feel like. And that is what helped me curl up in a ball on my floor, rocking and crying, wanting to reach out and not yeah. doing it because I wanted to experience that half a day, a day and go, mm -hmm. oh, yes. I made it. I didn't yeah. do it. I didn't. And, mm -hmm. and that's what compelled me. Yes. Well, and then getting back to this whole idea of like the things we tell ourselves, you know, the stories that we make up in our head, 
I was sharing with them before we started the podcast that I heard this one old guy saying in a meeting, you know, I make up shit in my head and then I'll live in it. Yes. And, you know, the opposite is true as well about, and you and I have talked so much about law of attraction. We've talked so much about, um, you know, manifesting and doing what you want. And so it's so important to think about what it is we do want not about what's going on. And I was sharing with them earlier that I thought I was going to get fired this week because I made a mistake at work. And I was like so sure of it. I was mentally starting to clear out my office, which, you know, (laughs) I was, uh, I'm a survivor of Enron. So, you know, that was such a huge traumatic event. And, you know, so at every job that I work at, I've just unconsciously not taken anything personal there. And all I had at my desk at work was some glucosamine and chondroitin and some Tylenol <laughs> that I had brought in. And it was like, come easy to fit in my purse and leave. You know, there's nothing that I have there. No pictures, nothing, wow. not any supplies. And I was like, really like, that was like, that's because of my trauma around that. But I wasn't going to get fired. I mean, I'd made a mistake at work. It was a big mistake. And, you know, my boss was just concerned because how did this happen? And he really wanted to get right into, like, at, from the postmortem into a strategy of, like, you know, next time. Let's, what do we got to do next time? And, you know, my, my big takeaway, and I was able to share this because I'm working with people that I can. As I was able to say, I said, this person that I've been working with really, like, kind of triggers my mother stuff and uh, at the end of like our our feedback session he was like well we're gonna have to continue to use this person and he said I'm sorry that she's your mother and what I wanted to do (laughs) is to correct him and to say because I just had this weekend where I had a lot of recovery speak and really the truth is is that this person triggers the family of origin wounding around my mother yes so she's just the trigger for the family of origin wounding. Yes, yes. And so that puts me, you know, she's not my mother. And that's what I was able to get to. And that's what's helped me get to a place where I can work with them. Yes. It's like they're not my mother. So the story that I tell in my head is that I'm not perfect. And it was also a point of humility for me because I like to be the man in charge, the woman in charge. I like to have all the answers. I like to be confident and competent. And uh, it's just a moment of humility that I think the universe gives me to remind me that I'm not all that and kind of get me right-sized. They say that in AA a lot about being right-sized. So, you know, we can say stories in a negative way and then we can say stories in a positive well, way. Well, and so like if we went back to, you know, my the sponsee I was talking about, the one that seeks out rejection. So right now um, she's in, a, she always works with women and always has a woman boss and she has a female boss and she's working with all women and um she's she started we started working together um she actually hired me as her coach um when she started this job because she'd been let go so many times and she, she didn't wanted, want to repeat it mm-hmm. and, okay. so, and so we're working on we work on some things and i i noticed i said this feels like you're creating like your mom stuff with this particular person and she was like yes it's my mom and my sisters and so we come up with some strategies and work through it and then she's okay for a little while but then she goes back to it and today she was like I I just think something's up they're being mean to me you know mm-hmm. and their language mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. even sounds like 
the 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 youthful the little girl mm. and we have an appointment <clears throat> to work together on Sunday and we'll, we'll you know we can go over some of this but the story that she's making up is it, it's you know it's part of her DNA it is it is that's in in changing that is so hard but it's such important work and awareness is critical but it's not even half the battle I'm sure as you know the other thing I wanted to say is that beyond refuge recovery, um, some 12 steps, all of the other things were, for me, we're seeking out other tools. You know, MG, that I devour podcasts, and so what, there's lots of sobriety podcasts out there, and then and y'all sobriety podcasts is just um, a regular tool for me. I listen to them numerous times. If I'm having a really tough day, I'll go to sleep listening to them. There was one thing you were approaching. Um, two that I just completely rejected and that was the idea of not dating too soon in your recovery right and um, because I was in the middle of attempting that for myself and I just crossed my arms to that idea and um, it really um, you know was another lesson I got to learn and not only that but choosing somebody in your recovery community and how what a bad idea that can be and it really was for me and um, let me just add here that yeah. there is a phrase that is said in 12-step meetings for women if you want to date some of the men they said the odds are good yeah but the goods are odd yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's so true that was so true and I, I don't no, know if that's yeah. part of refuge recovery yeah. or not but there's I a reason they're yeah. in a 12-step program right. I mean there's a reason I am too but it yes. goes you know and yes. you got to figure out what the reason is first right. before you Exactly, and there are, and there are multiple reasons. But the one thing I will say is that for me, refuge recovery, I was only attending women meetings, right? Twelve step, all the twelve steps I was attempting, only women's meetings. I felt safe there, and I was forced to attend refuge recovery meetings where men and women, and I was resistant to that. But man, did it inform my recovery because I got to see men really showing up talking honestly and vulnerably about their stuff, but still being strong men, right? Um, and then, so I got to realize that these one or two other men I was messing around with and, you know, assigning such wisdom to them. Like, oh, they're trying, they're trying to look at their stuff. Magical quality. Right, in comparison to the people, the men that were really looking at their stuff, it was nothing, and it really helped me release those men and just understand that, no, these guys aren't even trying. Here's what it looks like when a man is showing up and trying. So that was incredibly important. The other thing I do want to say is, because it helps me to understand how bad it was for me, I just want to touch on that a little bit, because if there's anybody who's struggling with this, so for me, um, you know, I was drinking every night or trying to talk myself out of drinking every night. I was in constant communication with one or two men that were just, you know, no good for me and no good for any other women, if I can just say that. <laughs> I mean, but man, it was addictive and I was caught in the loop. And that's really what helped me reach my bottom. I probably could have continued along with the alcohol for longer without reaching a bottom, but those two together just really brought me to my mm. knees. I mm -hmm. was completely powerless over, mm. miserable. There was nothing I could do around that, and I was just about hopeless. And I live in Seattle where there's no sun, and it was the winters, and I was just, you know, beyond depressed, and so it was just, and I come from a 
family that's steeped in addiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a sibling who consumed alcohol to the degree that his, you know, he cracked his shoulder socket, like that bone. I mean, just the most extreme um, impacts of addiction is where I come from. So for me to even continue to play with it is just nonsense. Really. But, but the miracle, Teresa, is that even though you have that genetic predisposition towards addiction, you're really working towards moving away from that. And you've been very successful for long periods of time in your past. Yes. And so, you know, when I, you know, they, there's an Al-Anon saying, you know, we can't compare because we'll despair. So no, don't compare and despair. So I'm not comparing you to the rest of your family, but, but knowing your family, I can see what a Herculean effort it is for you to pull yourself past that. And I want to encourage you, and I want to say, you know, I love you, and I'm like so um, inspired because, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, my recovery path has been any easier or harder, but, you know, it when I see what you're having to deal with, it's like, it's just astonishing to me that you can pull together any kind of time and that you have done so many wonderful things to advocate for yourself. So your courage to go through that, to push past it, is just very, very inspiring. And I want you to continue to do that because I love you so much and you have so much to give to your, the world and yourself and you know, I'm on Team Teresa, and I want it to be, like, the most winningest team ever. Thank you so much, MG. Um, I I really appreciate being seen and heard like that, and for somebody to acknowledge how, you know, the family I come from and what that's been like. And your sobriety has been so impactful for me, and I've seen you grow and change in that. And And the other thing I want to say is that I just can't believe how much my confidence has increased since I've been sober and in recovery. I, I was sober before, but not in recovery. So that's the difference for me. Right. And I'm so much more confident. I'm, I feel my attractiveness so much more. I feel my competence so much more. And it's just, it's a game changer. And to not wake up every morning miserable with a headache, dehydrated, and with that panic. And puffy. The regret. That, uh, yeah. What right. did I do last exactly. night? Exactly. To look at my phone with one oh, eye open Lord. to see what text I had sent. Yeah. Mortifying. And puffy. Can we talk about the manatee? <laughs> <laughs> because, because I have some before pictures when I was eating a ton of carbs and drinking that I just, it's the best beauty treatment is to put that stuff down. down. Yeah. 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 So let's, you know, go back to the storytelling for just a second, because I want to go to a place um, when you begin. One of the things that my sponsee is doing right is she doesn't recognize that she's making up a story, but she does go, I don't like where I'm at. What can I do? What should I do? And it's something that I kind of like am like, Oh, I wish you would have just called me, you know? Yeah. When you were in the beginning of it, you know? Because I'm not sure, like, unless you are really aware and you know what's going on with my body here. Yeah. Yeah. And you can feel that and you go like, wait, wait, wait. You know, this is history. This is not now. Because if you're like, and I call it the inappropriate response, you know? So if you're having a response of a 10 
on a scale of one to ten, it's a ten, eight, nine, ten, yeah. to a an issue that is maybe a three or a four. Right. Then there's something. It's, it's history. Like my yeah. mistake this week was a three. But I'm already putting my shoulder on my per. But you were going to back up your desk. Yeah, yeah. and I was like yeah. thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to quit before they fire me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll show them. They think they're going to fire me. I don't need this job. I do need this job. <laughs> I do need this job. Right, right. Uh, well, and and I think that you know one of the things that's really helped me is the law of attraction and they talk about oh oh, oh that's okay it was just technical difficulty we're fine we're fine and uh, at the beach retreat two of the women like put together like little packages for like gifts to take away with and you got a candle and then what they did is they took these Abraham Hicks cards and they like uh, shuffled them and then they you know said okay we're gonna pray over this one for, for Melody and they didn't know what it was, but they said, this is a card for Melody. And so they prayed over it, and they were just like, universe, please, you know, give her this message. We believe this is what she needs to hear. And the card that I got was the inner guidance system. But it's also what the law of attraction talks about, your emotional guidance system. And so that's one of the things that I've been able to use to say, uh, what am I feeling instead of just you know what am I thinking but what am I feeling and the body informs us informs the mind the mind informs the body it's this feedback loop but you know I have to you know I love that phrase in the big book pause when agitated and you know just take a minute to kind of like look at what's going on and so does your sponsee do it's, that? Well, it's vital to, she's just beginning this work and hasn't been able to recognize what's going on in her body. But the reason why it's so important is because the thought that you're thinking, it, you can't hear it. You cannot isolate it yeah. because you have been doing it since day one. Uh, mine, oh my God, what if there's not enough? Came. I started when I was five years old. And who knows how often I have thought it since then, but there is a groove in my brain that whenever anything financial comes up, the BB goes in there and it goes around and around and around and it's deep and it wants, you know, and I have to find some way to pop it up out of there and go into the, it's fine. I have enough. I have the money to pay for this. I have the savings. I have this. I have that. I can handle this. So, it, and she's just not there yet. You have gotten there to where you go like, I feel my body. And then you gotta be able to go like, what is the thought? What am I thinking? Yes. Because yes. it's the thought that's creating the thought, the body reaction. Yes. Whatever's yes. going on inside yes. your body, the abdomen. Yes, yeah. But you can't, you can't hear the thought because you're, it's so innate. Right. You have been thinking it every day, every, for mm-hmm. however many years. That's right, yeah. Well, and you know, in this past week and last week too, like I had like two auditions. One was in Austin, one was here, and then I got a call back for the audition. And uh, and so it was like there were a lot of these positive, good things going on in my life. And then, you know, this really heavy thing going on in my life where I thought that I was going to be fired. And you know, and how I kind of got through it was I started like looking at the truth. And the truth is, is that, you know, I have been fired from jobs before. And I was able to survive and continue my life. And uh, so I knew that I would be able to survive if I got fired. 
And the second truth was that if I did get fired from that job, it could be a little bit of like God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Yes. And to get out of this situation where I feel, you know, I don't feel trapped, but you know, there's like certain people I don't like working with at this job because they trigger the wounding of my family of origin. So, you know, which I, may be the reason why you're there. Well, and I talked to a friend of mine and I was like saying, maybe I haven't learned the lesson. And she said, bullshit. She goes, you can learn the lesson at any moment. You don't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And yes. so when she gave me permission not to suffer, I'm yes. like, oh, oh, okay. But then I was like, you know, I, I need to keep this job for a certain amount of time. And then, you know, I've got a strategy for going forward. So, you know, and then, and then giving myself the choice to say, you could quit this job, gave me a little bit more empowerment around it, saying that, you know, I, I, I could, I could, I have agency in my life. I don't have to like, oh, here I am going to this shitty job every day. Right. But, right. you know, just having the choice gave me a little bit more ability to stay in that, to know that I'm a, not a victim, I'm a volunteer. I'm yes. showing up at this job for my own welfare yes. to pay for my It's a relationship. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It yes. is a relationship. And you have a choice in every relationship, It you know, no matter what it is, whether or not, however you're going to show up, whether you're going to stay in it, whether you're going to let them have power over you or not. Every relationship, we that's have right. that. Yes. And I love what you said about suffering because that's a, something we talk a lot about in Buddhism and in refuge recovery. The dis- right, right, the right. You were to saying suffer. something about the, you have uh, an issue with a little bit of their philosophy too. Oh, I'll talk about a little bit about that. I don't know how much okay. time we have. But what I did want to say about suffering was that, you know, there's the idea of the second arrow. So the first arrow is the pain. The reality is physical pain, emotional pain. That's real. But then the second arrow, arrow is the choice we make to suffer about it, to really re-wound ourselves and to just suffer yeah. about it, rehash yes. it in our heads yeah. and, and talk and, about it. Right. And live it, over it over again. <laughs> Journal it. Yeah. And live in misery about it, right? So yeah. to... Um, so that that that's really helpful, but yeah, the the one issue and the one meditation I will not engage in um, is the is we have this practice and it's valuable and I see the value of it. But it's um, I am of the body to um, get sick, grow old, and die. Right? All of those are true enough, and I'm a firm believer, um, like you both have discussed, and how impactful the mind is. Right? how impactful the mind is and what our bodies decide to do. And recently I've been reminded of this when I was watching the work or a neurosurgeon describe his work. I can't think of his name, but maybe we'll think of it and link it. But he uses mirror boxes for people who have injuries. Like he does a lot of work around phantom limb pain and a condition where people break their hands and the body responds with redness and inflammation and the break heals, and for this small population, the redness and inflammation does not dissipate, and it's very painful, and there's no effective treatment. One thing they can do is go in and cut the nerves, but it's not impactful. Um, so he looked at the use of mirror boxes. So he has these people put their hands in these mirror boxes, and they think they're looking at their hurt hand, but really they're looking at their healthy hand, and they say, oh, it looks, you know, they see it looks healthy and fine, and for half of this group of people, 
the inflammation and swelling disappears. Goes away. So it's curative. It's a treatment for these people that have no treatment, and it's just it's and that's statistically significant. Fifty percent yes. is like yes. there's something more there than that would have happened by chance. That's right. That's right. Oh, definitely more than that happens by chance. But it is in alignment with the placebo effect, right? Which sure. is very legitimate. And, it, and it's a treatment in itself, but just to understand how, because again, we're talking about how impactful the mind is. So that when we approach this meditation that I am of the body to... Um, yeah, to, I don't want to do that yeah, either. Yeah, I just, I, I give myself a different message. Yes. I, I understand it's important to recognize it, that we have limited time on this planet. What do we want to be doing with this time? That's completely legitimate, but I do not want to have that conversation with my body and tell it to. I don't either. Yeah. I, I, what yeah. I would do is manifest it. Right, right. I'm yes. just way yes. too powerful. Like when I start thinking about that kind of stuff yeah. to, yeah. you know. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I love the mirror thing because I'm going to do that yeah. with my toe because yes. it's still swollen. Oh. And, uh, yeah. It's yeah. not really red, maybe in some areas, but yeah. 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 I'm going to do that. I'm yeah. going to look at my other toe and just right. think that. Yeah, that's my yeah. toe. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look how good my toes look. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, we're about at time, and so I just want to thank Teresa so much yeah, thank for you joining so much. us thank today. You. Do you have anything else you want to say to? No, I just want to remind people that you know this. It, it is an addiction of our thought process. That's you know that's what compels it. That's what feeds it. You know, when's he gonna call? Where is he? Why doesn't he love me? Why won't he do this? How can I make him in all of that inside of our heads? And our heads are powerful. And if you can find some way to relieve yourself of that, get some help. And even if you need to find eight ways, like I have had to, you know. Right. You know, I say go look look in them hills. There's gold in them there hills. Yeah, that's right. You never know what's going to be out there. Don't forget to check out our website, www.sobersisterstalk.com. And if you enjoyed this particular um, broadcast, please like and share it. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our podcast. And uh, tell everybody you listen to us. And you can also reach us via email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. You can also uh, look at it like SoberSistersTalk.com. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Teresa, for thank joining you, us. Thank you so much. And thank you both for the work you do.